Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan, one of your co-hosts. I'm joined with my other co-host, Jim Reske, and we have a special guest tonight, Lou DeMarco. And tonight we are excited because we're going to be talking about probably the most important topic of the Christian faith, which is the resurrection. Um, Specifically, we're going to be kind of diving into John chapter 20, reading it section by section, sharing some observations. The three of us are going to share, you know, how these, how the scripture has impacted us. But the topic is the resurrection of Jesus, which is probably the most important topic uh, we could talk about. So um, let me just start. Jim, welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this. All right, good. All right, Lou. Hey, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Anything you want to say in, as far as introductory comments? I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you two guys, people that love the Lord, and you know, thank God for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, let's just okay, Jim. What, what yeah, would you, you like know, to maybe say? yeah, just for our listeners, Lou, maybe just take a minute, just tell us a little bit about yourself, especially your spiritual journey, uh, how, how you came to faith, and. Um, maybe just, just to kind of, so our audience kind of gets to know you a little bit. Okay. I'd be glad to, I am an attorney. I've been an attorney 40 some years. I was a uh, county prosecutor in Cuyahoga County, uh, way, uh, been raised, uh, in a Catholic family, went to Catholic grade school, high school, college, Jesuit college of all things. And, uh, was really living a life, uh, living a life of, um, I, I'd say being a hellion, you know, being a prosecutor, thought I was kind of special. And uh, and then I met a, a assistant bailiff, a juvenile court of all places. And she was just the sweetest lady, um, African-American lady who was a single mother, didn't have much money, but she just had this sweetness about her. So I asked her one day, what is it about you? And she told me I have the Lord. And, and I said, well, what do you mean you have the Lord? I went to, you know, Catholic high school, grade school, high school and college. So I started, I went home and I started looking up my old books and got the J.B. Phillips translation out and started, you know, thinking about it. And Fulton Sheen, Bishop Sheen, if you know who he is. And um, in one night in March of 1980, and I'll tell you, I, I don't know the the night I know you, you say you're born again, you're supposed to know your birthday, but I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about it. So, um, it was, it was the most horrendous night and the most beautiful night all at once, because all of a sudden I knew I was a sinner going directly to hell. And it was just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And, wow. the, and I just said the atheist prayer. I said, Jesus, if you're real, save me. And from that moment on, my life changed totally. I was saved. It was the most beautiful moment. It was from the worst moment of my life to the greatest moment of my life. And it was all because of the Lord's grace. Because, you know, I was, I had, no, I had done nothing, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to get into 
talking about, you know, how bad a sinner you are, because we can all sit there and say, yeah, I was, I was so bad. And, you know, Paul says he's the worst of sinners. I'll, I'll take him at his word. But for me, it was, you know, totally unexpected. People thought I, I lost my mind <laughs> because all of a sudden I started talking about the Lord, going to bars and talking about the Lord and talking <laughs> to the Lord uh, with these, these hardcore prosecutors and defense attorneys, and they didn't want to hear it. And uh, so it was all by God's grace. And I'm, I've, you know, I've had ups and downs since then, but thank God every day is a, a gift from God. I just think that's fantastic, Lou. It's just such a wonderful story. I just think, you know, uh, Greg, as we think about people that are listening to the podcast here in the United States, but all around the world, and they're just Christians in all these different countries listening to the podcast, you're going to say, that's their story too. They met Jesus. They got to know Jesus and they had a life before. And one day they met Jesus and then, nothing's been the same ever since and so it's just it's just so great and just and i never get tired of hearing about hearing testimonies and people coming to the lord and it just uh it's it's just so exciting so i'm, I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast tonight lou uh wherever they are all around the world saying yeah you too uh you know jesus too <laughs> me too i just love him yeah, isn't that great so thanks for sharing that well amen i i'm just very grateful i i, I you know he, he's he's i mean much better than I'd ever deserved. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just, he's fantastic. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I I mean, when you hear these stories, you realize how the biggest seeker in the Bible is God. Because God is like seeking us out. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just so cool to hear how, how God brought you to himself. And, you know, I work with international students and one of the misperceptions people have about America is they think America is a Christian nation, that you're a Christian just because you were born in America. So Lou, your testimony is pretty powerful. And anybody who lives here knows that we are not a Christian nation. Um, we, we are a nation that has Christians, but um, each person has to individually come to know Jesus and trust him. Uh, even being raised in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. So anyway, that, thank you for sharing that. That's fantastic. Well, let's dive into uh, John chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and then we'll just go around and just share our impressions or things that uh, stood out to us. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put they have laid laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the disciple, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping into it, stooping in to look, um, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so that's the end of verse 9. I guess just to kind of get us started, 
one of the fascinating facts about the resurrection is that the is the witnesses of the resurrection that Mary was one of the that uh, women were the first people there at the tomb, especially given the cultural background of the time. Um, so I just think that really stands out. And it's one of those it's one of those things that when people say the Bible was made up, you would never you would have never had it written this way because people would have laughed at you um, given the cultural context. But what stands out to you guys? Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking of as well. And I think um, that the idea that I think uh, Lou is an attorney, you'd know that um, at that day and age, uh, the testimony of women wasn't even allowed in the court of law. So uh, to have the first witnesses be women, especially Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, I, the Bible isn't clear on this, but she had a little bit of a checkered past as well, I think. Um, doesn't exactly say what it was, but uh, if you want to have a real, you know, credible witness, you would probably have, and if you were making this up, uh, out of whole cloth, you would have just had to be somebody else, but the, but it's not made up. It's, uh, it's reportage, but if these kind of counterproductive kind of verses like this, they give me confidence that the Bible is really true because it, it's written this way because it actually happened this way. Um, and I do think it's interesting. Mary Magdalene goes, but she doesn't go in, right? She runs up, she sees that it's gone. The stone's gone. And then she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved which has got to be John himself, right? The author of the book, right? And he then he constantly refers to himself as the other disciple, kind of in the, a fancy way of using the third person to refer to himself for the rest of the chapter. But it's John and Peter that she runs and tells, and they and they go and see the tomb. Lou, is there anything else you saw there? Well, uh, to me, uh, that's what Christianity is all about. It's the resurrection. It's historical. It's an historic fact. And if you look at if you if you study history. And you see the witnesses to the resurrection. It's, I mean, it's compelling. You know, there, there's a brilliant lawyer uh, by the name of Lee Strobel, and you guys are familiar with him. But he was a hardcore writer for the, either the Chicago Tribune or the Sun Times. I can't remember which one it was. And he was very far from Christianity. And his wife became a Christian. And he set out to disprove it. And he went to Yale Law School. He was a brilliant, he is a brilliant guy still. And he found that the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling in history, much more compelling than a lot of other facts that we believe going back to the Iliad and the Odyssey and all these different uh, literature works in, in antiquity. The resurrection with the 500 witnesses that appear, uh, the, the the fact that uh, Paul, uh, Paul was a, a, a terrible uh, I mean, he, he was the last person you would imagine that would ever come to Jesus. And, and Jesus' own brother, James, w was totally opposed to him. And he was a, a, a very orthodox uh, Jewish guy. And, and they were skeptics and they all came. So the resurrection, that's what you do with it. You, you, you know, you either believe it or you don't. And the evidence is so compelling. And what's fascinating to me is the grave clothes. What's the significance of the grave clothes, how, how they were folded? Because if somebody was going to steal the body, why would you mess with the grave clothes? You just leave them. You know, you just take the body. And, you know, I, and, I, and I, I don't know about this or not, but I think it's an interesting point to raise, and some people may be interested in it. But the Shroud of Turin, which some people believe is maybe the, the burial cloth of Jesus, you know, there, there's an imprint on it, and it's a positive, not a negative. 
for those of you who are scientifically oriented. So they, they can't reproduce it, right? And so, and we don't know if that's really Jesus's, uh, but, but there had to be something with the linen cloths because John went in, saw it and believed. And it's yeah. just fascinating to me. Yeah, and if if you can even contrast that with like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he came out and he was like unwrapping himself like when he when he walked out of the tomb. The fact that they're there and they're neat, it it, it is a stunning uh visual that there's no way somebody stole the body. And uh it, it is a really, really cool picture. I just want to share like some of the reasons why the resurrection is so important. I mean, the good news of Jesus is not complete without the resurrection. That's that's one reason. Another one is my faith in God is meaningless without the resurrection. Um, there, There's only a future because of the resurrection. And also, lastly, I have daily purpose in this life because of the resurrection. I mean, the Apostle Paul put it put it well in uh what is it first corinthians 15 17 he said and if christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still in 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 condemnation in your sins for your sins and if we have hope in christ only for this life then we are mis the most miserable people in the world that's the nlt version um i mean the resurrection is so important um it, it it's it's fascinating but let's talk about the women just for a second you, we talked about it man what what faithfulness and devotion they had to jesus and what courage they had that the, they were at the crucifixion they were at the resurrection um and i mean and the disciples at this point when mary is there had fled you know um but she didn't mary didn't care she was going to go to the tomb. And a lot of people think she was going there to put more um, spices or an ointments on the body. But the fact that she was there showed a tremendous amount of courage and faithfulness and devotion. The devotion that the disciples didn't even have at that point. That That's 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 interesting. Yeah, they weren't, you're right, Greg. They weren't there. She was going there. Right. To take care. Right. To take care. And um and even we'll read the section in a second, but when she was uh, saw the body wasn't there, she said she wanted to go find the body to take care of it uh, in the section we're going to read here in a second. But you're right. She was going out there and she had to go get Peter and John. They weren't they weren't with her going there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and also the fact that she went the first thing she thought of was to go to to go to their house and get them. Yeah, it's pretty cool, too. So yeah. anything else you guys want to share about this? This section. There's one just one quick story, and it comes from a speech, uh, Lou. Uh, before we started, you were talking about um, N.T. Wright, uh, and uh, who's I think a bishop in the Anglican Church and has written a lot. And um, I think you know, so some of the good things about some of the things, and, and not that on this podcast, this is not an endorsement of all those things, but there's just one story he told that I thought was good. We talked about um, being in a cab in London. And he was talking about something about Christianity. I think he was on the phone with somebody else in the cab. He heard him and the cabbie asked him about, what do you, what do you do? And he said, oh, you're a bishop. Oh, the cab, they, the cabbie saw his collar said, you must be a, a bishop or something. He said, yeah, I am. And the cabbie said, well, the way I see it, either Jesus raised from the dead or he didn't and everything else is rock and roll, isn't it? 
<laughs> he said, and he said, and, that, and he said, what he did is he then he caught on the phone. That's the way the story goes. Then he got on the phone, called somebody else, and said, "You won't believe what this guy's just said to me." And the guy said, "Well, that's that's your next your sermon for Easter Sunday, right there." And that's exactly what it is. You know, either Jesus raised from the dead or he didn't. And when you're sharing Christ with somebody, you know, so many times you're talking to someone about your faith. Lou, you were talking about you're sitting with other prosecutors and you start sharing the faith and they say, yeah, well, what I want to know is this. If God created the world, they got some objection, right? What about this other thing? If that's true, they, they go right to some other objection. And look, you could you could talk about that stuff endlessly. Most of it's just a distraction. Either he raised from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, none of it matters, right? But if he did, you've got to just change your entire life. And all those objections that people have when you're coming to Christ, you know, if you if he raised from the dead, if he is who he says he is, we can figure all that stuff out later. And most of those objections just kind of fall away, right? Once you really meet the real Jesus. But if he but if he didn't raise from the dead, then what difference does it make? Nothing makes any difference, right? So mm. that's the, the core truth of Christianity. That that that's perfect, Jim. I, I think that's perfect. Now with me. Just, just, just a, as as an aside, you know, I was I, I was raised in an ethnic family, Italian family, Italian American family. You know, I was very close to my dad, who's my pal. He died when I was sixteen, and my whole world basically changed, right? And ever since then, until I met Jesus, everybody I looked at, I knew they were going to die. Now Jesus died, but when He says in Revelation one, "I was dead, and I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell." right? I'm alive forevermore. You can rely upon Jesus. He's never going to fail you. You can rely upon him. He lives forevermore. He bore our sins, but he, but he died and he was raised from the dead. And yeah. that gives life meaning. And, and, and it's beautiful when you think about it. It's absolutely compelling. You're exactly right, Jim. That's the meaning of life. That's, that's what the secret is. If Jesus ro rose from the dead and he's alive, then we all have hope. And, and and without it, there there is no hope, and people just don't want to think about it or face it, and they say, "Well, I don't want to think about that stuff," and they can get their peace by not thinking about it. But uh, either he raised from the dead or he didn't. That's the central truth of Christianity, really, the central truth of all all humanity and all all history. So, well, let's uh, continue on with this chapter. So let's see what happens with Mary. So Mary goes back and it says, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So at this point, she doesn't know. She doesn't know what happened to Jesus. She thought somebody stole the body. And as she wept, she, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them, laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have, I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And, 
and that he had said these things to her. So let's just pause here. This is kind of interesting. Um, so Mary, obviously, she goes back to the tomb. And then she looks in and then she sees these two angels. And what's kind of fascinating to me is that there's not more like emotion or usually when a person comes in contact with an angel, you know, the angels are like, fear not, like, don't be afraid. But she just kind of has this conversation with them. Like she's still sort of um, maybe just so just she's so she can't figure out where the body of Jesus is. Right. Right. Um, so. Um, and then even when she Jesus speaks to her the first time, she thinks he's the gardener. She just can't fathom that he had risen at this point. Um, but once he says her name, it's like she realized who he was. What do you guys what do you guys make of this this passage? Yeah. So you just said, Greg, she could not yet fathom that he would rise from the dead. It's funny because and then right at the end of the passage we read a moment ago, um, you know, verses eight and nine, that John and Peter were there and they said he saw and believed but they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus told them all he was going to rise from the dead. He was, he said it multiple times pretty clearly, you know, I'm going to, and, and uh, leading up to his death. And it is striking that they all like made, must've listened to that and said, yeah, that's nice. That's, but they don't really, they didn't really believe it or yeah. they thought he was speaking in some kind of figurative language or something. Well, look at verse 10. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Yeah. They Isn't just went they went back to their homes after they went to the tomb and saw that the, the nice folded linens, it says they went back to their homes. And then I love verse, the, the first two words of verse 11, but Mary, but Mary, but Mary. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? She's much more emotionally engaged with this than they are. Right. Yeah. And you, again, does. you see the devotion of this, of this one woman because yeah. she had maybe been forgiven for so much. Yeah. She loved Jesus so much. Yes. Um, That's right. And it's funny, you're right. She's talking to the angels, and, and you're right. She, at the moment, she, most most of the episodes in the Bible, people with angels, she would have been awestruck and falling backwards. And But they say, why are you weeping? She's, and she's still thinking about Jesus because they've taken away my Lord, and i got to find him. You know, I don't know where they laid him. So she's still very engaged on that. She's talking to the angels. I mean, it's a, a conversation about that topic because that's what's really on her heart is finding Jesus. So... Yeah, I wonder when she says they've taken away my Lord, you know, I, I think she believed he was God. I mean, my Lord, right? I mean, that's yeah. to me, and, and she doesn't know quite what to make of it, but she's weeping. And, you know, when, when the angel said woman, it was one thing. But when Jesus says to her woman and then Mary you know, how intimate and how sweet that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about the love that she must have felt. I mean, can you can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years, seeing all these miracles, seeing him suffer horribly and die, and then he's raised from the dead? Yeah. Did, you, did you guys ever hear of Don Francisco? You know who no. Don Francisco is? He's an old I've heard the Christian name. singer. Oh, the singer, yeah. And, and he sang that song. You know about uh, about being forgiven. I'm forgiven. You know he's 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 like Peter. 
And when he sees the Lord, because Peter denied the Lord three times, and all of a sudden he's forgiven. And we're gonna, and I think you probably covered that already, Greg, in chapter twenty-one, where you know Peter's forgiven. But um, it, it's just, it's just, it, it's so compelling and so sweet when you think about what, what Mary, the emotions Mary must have gone through, and the joy, the absolute joy and wonder. Well, if you look at the end of verse, something happened between verses 16 and 17, because um, she's, she just says, Rabboni, and then seven, 17, Jesus is like, don't cling to me. So yeah. I imagine her just like, she just grabbed him, like his ankle, around his ankle, maybe fell on, fell at his feet and just was clinging to him really hard. Like, I'm never letting you go now. Like, <laughs> I thought they had taken you away. I'm never letting you go. But that's interesting what Jesus says. He's like, he's like, don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. And I know we even had this, Lou, we even had this conversation this past Saturday at the men's Bible study where, uh, why did Jesus have to go back to the, to the father? Like, you know, why, why, why would Jesus say this to her? Like, don't cling to me because I've not ascended to my father. He had to go back in order for her to receive the Holy Spirit, right? Right, right. He had to present himself in the heavenly mercy seat and complete our salvation, making the, the sacrifice. And he had to be installed, coronated, whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it's it's uh, Psalm 24. It's uh, in the book of Daniel uh, as the son of man coming to the, you know, to ascending to heaven. Uh, it's it, it's uh, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, the power on high. It, it, yeah, so it's almost like Jesus is saying to her, when I do return to heaven, the Holy Spirit will be sent down to earth. And when he comes, he will reveal me to your heart in a way that you've never known me before. I will be nearer and dearer to you than than what was possible during my life here. And what's cool about that, if you get that concept, that means that you and I, because we've never seen the, the physical Jesus, you know, because he, he walked on the earth, you know, 2000 years ago, that in a sense, we have an advantage that, that, that those early disciples didn't have. And that is, we, we can have a closeness um, that they didn't experience because of the, the Holy Spirit. Now, they did. They got it at Pentecost, right? But um, isn't that kind of interesting? It's it's interesting that Jesus, that's the first thing he says to her, is, you know, stop clinging to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. And then you know, go I, and tell my brother. She, she immediately sends, or Jesus immediately sends her away from him, which that must have been so difficult for her to leave him, to leave his presence. Um, she, she, she sends him on a, on a missions trip kind of thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're right. I, I noticed that because right at, right at 18, she just leaves and stops clinging to him. She obeys him, stops clinging to him and goes and tells the disciples. I was going to say, I grew up in a, a kind of a traditional church. We had stained glass windows on the walls and there was an image of Jesus with Mary Magdalene, kind of very pious. And, and it was because some of the early translations, and I got to look at this in the King James. I think that might say, don't touch me. Mm. And it was he stopped, don't, it was almost like he's so holy he couldn't be touched. But then I think some of the other versions now bring out this. I remember I remember even at the time thinking, why would he say don't touch me? And uh the people I uh 
that, that knew uh, Greek would tell me, and a study that said the actual translation is more like stop clinging to me, which is, comes out here, I think, in the version you were reading, uh, Greg. So I think that's better that because uh, don't touch me doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But that's the way it was in the stained glass windows in our church when we grew up. It was Jesus kind of piously holding up a finger saying, please don't touch me. Uh, yeah, stop. and I've heard, I've heard, um, I've read some commentaries where they, they um, express that, but the Greek, the Greek word is cling. Oh, it is okay. cling. But, and the interesting thing about that is if it, you know, and the, the way these commentators would say it is like, why did Jesus tell Mary not to touch him? But then she told Thomas, touch my side, touch my, you oh, know, yeah. right. so, um, so I, I think that, but I'm pretty confident that the Greek word here is, is uh, cling. I'm looking at it right now. Well, um, Thomas and the other male disciples don't throw themselves and start hugging him and say, I'm never letting you go like this. Right. So again, that kind of speaks to her devotion and the contrast there. Um, I, I do want to go to, there's something I think Lou was, you were talking about and the recognition she has for him, how it's all wrapped up in verse 16, when he says to her, Mary, just the one word it's, it's great writing. First of all, it's almost the way you'd write a novel, right? Because he could have said to her, oh, yeah, you don't recognize me. Let me explain. See, I'm Jesus, and I rose from the dead. Remember, I told you about this. And he could have gone this long explanation. And then she said, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Thanks. I forgot about that. And you're right. None of that. It's just all wrapped up in one word. And it's so poignant, right? It has so much emotion when she's kind of weeping and crying one minute. And then he just says her name. And boom, it all clicks. And she knows it's him. And it's just... I think that's just laden with meaning. Right? I love the way the Bible's written. It's not, again, it's not the way I think it's, you would have made it up if you're writing it up, making up a uh, some kind of religion. It's just, it's just beautiful. And and Jesus knows her name. He says her name, and that's all she has to hear. He calls us by name. He gives us a name. I mean, it's uh, that's the the moment of recognition. Just when he says Mary, uh, I love. I, someday maybe, gosh, when we're in heaven, wouldn't it be nice if we could play back the tapes and see what that sounded like, the tone of his voice when he said that to her, I'm sure it was just an incredible moment in human history. Yeah, I, I agree, Jim. I think that that's, it's so, I mean, you think about the joy. I mean, Peter talks about, we haven't seen Jesus, but we have joy inexpressible. Yeah. You know, that scripture I'm talking about. Yeah. That, that, that to me is the joy inexpressible. What I really like is when Jesus said, I'm ascending to my father, and your father mm. to my God and your God. And he really could have said, I'm ascending. So my father is your father and my God is your God, because that's he, the only reason that the father is our father and God is our God is because of Jesus. Yeah. And, right. and but, but, but look at that. I mean, you know, when he calls us brothers, right. right. And if, if it's in, it's in um, Hebrews, and it's a quote from Psalm 22, which he starts off on the cross. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later on in Psalm 22, he, he calls us brothers. I yeah. brought my brothers and I'm going to praise you in front of my brothers in Psalm 22. So it, it, it's uh, so when he says here, but go to my brothers and say to them, you know, because you, you made a great point yesterday, Jim, about friends. Yeah. You know, we're not servants, friends. Right. And right. here it is again. That's right. That's right. And it, right. And uh, 
It is beautiful. He said, I'm sending to my father and your father. So you have a relationship with the father because of what I just accomplished for you on the cross. Because of that soul, right? And he doesn't say, I'm going to the father. And look, if you play your cards right, Mary, you too can achieve this and come and follow me. It's not like that at all, right? He doesn't say, I, I've, I've done all this stuff and I'm showing you the way. I'm going to teach you some principles for living. If you clean up your act, Mary, you could you could make it too. Nope. I mean, I'm going to my father and your father. You are coming with me solely because of what I did on the cross. And my brothers are too. My, and and, and that, that's what I've accomplished for you. That shows the power of adoption, that we, that we can be sons and daughters of God um, through the cross, that's through great. what Jesus did at the cross. But still, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Like, you can understand her not wanting to get it, like, not wanting to, to let go of him. Oh yeah, yeah. But oh, she yeah. lets yeah. go. She lets go, and she actually leaves his presence, and she goes on this mission to to tell the disciples. And so, let's uh, move on. Jim, you want to read verses nineteen to twenty three? Yeah. Can we talk about one more point in this section, though? Because I think there's something very interesting here. Sure. Because she doesn't recognize him, which I think is fascinating. And the, Jesus is in his glorified body. So, and, and it's a little bit of like a type for us. It gives a little bit, it gives us a little bit of a clue as to what our glorified bodies are going to be, right? So it's a physical body. She's touching him, clinging to him, right? Um, as physical properties, but slightly different physical properties. So it's not like she recognizes him at first. And it happens later with the Jesus appears to other people. And they don't recognize him right at first. And then when he leaves, they say, oh, that was Jesus. Yeah, like on the road to Emmaus. Exactly. And but in this in this case, it could be, I mean, Mary's mindset is that he's gone, right? Yeah. So she can only picture what she thinks would be there. So when she sees him, she thinks, oh, he must be the gardener. Right. And who knows, maybe, you know, I watched one of the, G I, actually, I was curious about this. So I watched one of the yeah. Jesus movies about it. Yeah. And what they do is they show him like his face is kind of hidden behind a bush, but he's talking to her. Yeah. Like, in other words, he can't be fully seen. He's, he's, he's there. But she can't see him because a, a bush is blocking the way. But, you know, I think that's fair enough. Um, I, actually, I do think that's fair interpretation because you can't draw too much doctrine from what's not written here. Right. It, it could have been, look, it's the sunrise and he was in silhouette and the sun was right behind him. It was yeah. light, light, light. And, and so you can't read too much like this is a doctrine we can take away of what our resurrected glorified bodies will be like because of this passage. I, you, you can't read too much into it. God, it does show you though the power of the mind, though, right? Because like sometimes our minds want to see, um, we we like, or we can't see what we can't comprehend. And so at this point, she couldn't comprehend that he had risen, right. and so she could only comprehend that he was a gardener. Right. Until she heard her name, she couldn't comprehend it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.